Welcome, Barbara Postema from Massey University, North Island, New Zealand. I think I'm we're like 16 hours apart or something crazy. Huge difference, yeah. Anyway, welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you about your work, uh, how there's a kind of system, a language maybe, a grammar of the comics and how it makes meaning. Um, I know this really important book for, for us that you published in 2013. Um, but yeah, welcome, Barbara. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Yeah. So, gosh, what is, how is it that, you know, you got into comic studies? You're kind of one of the first, I will say, women, um, like, out of the gate doing this kind of work, right? Um, but yeah, where, what's your origin story? <laughs> um, I was reading comics before I could read. The first comic I can remember, um, I guess, just sitting and looking at the picture was Asterix. And uh, so they were always, uh, they were always a part of my reading, always a part of uh, kind of the, the, the literature that was there. And um, that, so growing up, you know, I went from Asterix to, and, and Tintin and, and that kind of stuff to the comics grew up with me as reading uh, Isler and then uh, Möbius. Um, but at the same time, there was always, always Schultz, uh, Peanuts, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I was reading them, but, you know, you weren't really learning how to, how to study them. At school, you don't talk about uh, comics and book reports, for example. Um, so then I was starting a BA in English and I was writing a thesis about uh, Paul Auster's New York Trilogy. And um, as I was working on that contemporary American literature, someone gave me for my birthday, um, they gave me It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken by Seth. And I read that and just was so excited by that book and felt that the kind of um, analysis that I was doing for, uh, for Paul Auster for New York Trilogy, I was like, wow, you could do that for this book as well, for It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken. Why aren't we doing this with comics? Um, and so that kind of got the bug in my head. And then I was you know, still finishing my BA and then MA. But for my PhD, I decided that what I really wanted to do was, was think about how comics communicate. Um, so I went to Michigan State to do that. And that was, um, yeah, in part because in the Netherlands, it felt like... Um, the literary studies approaches there weren't really all that um, interested maybe in popular culture. And uh, so no one else around me was doing uh, comic studies. Whereas in the US, um, I found some, some programs that incorporated it. There was Bowling Green uh, with a popular culture program, for example. Um, and then at Michigan State, they had an amazing special collections. Um, and so that was what drew me. But even then, and most of the courses I took were, again, were kind of traditional literature. I was studying modernism and I was studying um, women's writing and, and things like that. So I felt like I kind of had to put together my own research program to, to get a sense of the history of comics. And because I was at Michigan State, that was really focused on, um, on American comics. And so that's kind of what I, what I drew on for my, uh, for my dissertation, which then also um, became my book. But I'm so grateful to Randy Scott, for example, at the Special Collections. Like he would, I, you know, when I w went in there, he's like, oh, have you seen this book? Have you read that book? And so he gave me David Kunzel's um, early comic strip kind of history of comics uh, or visual narrative from Hogarth uh, to like the beginning of the 20th century. And that was so um, amazing to see those kinds of developments in really early comics. 
Um, but you know, my own heart coming to comic studies from contemporary literature, basically, my heart is also with contemporary comics. Um, but knowing that background and seeing that development, um, yeah, really helped me kind of get my ideas together for sure. Amazing. And you ended up in Canada for a bit and then now you're in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just moving around where the work is, I guess. Uh, that's, uh, that's perhaps one of the, the sort of drawbacks of being a comics caller is that um, the, you know, the kind of training I have in, in literary studies um, there's not always room for that in English departments. Like they, they have room for literary studies, obviously, but then when you say that, well, you know, I, I use it to study comics, um, then they kind of raise an eyebrow, perhaps. So, yeah, I've been through a bunch of uh, kind of short-term contracts, uh, some sessional working, but also year-to-year uh, -year assistant professor type positions. And uh, that's now brought me to New Zealand, which has been super exciting. Um, but again, kind of short-term. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're very excited to have you. I'm sure the students love you there. Um, tell me, you know, what's the, what's the secret? So narrative structure in comics, how, how do comics make meaning? What, is, what did you discover, um, you know, in the writing of this book and in some of these comics that you focused on, uh, right? Uh, uh, Jessica Abel's work, et cetera, yeah. Yeah, so... Um... It took me a long time to to uh, to kind of get my head around it, but in the end, um, <clears throat> the, the 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 I guess the basic idea is um, the subtitle of that book, "Making Sense of Fragments," um, which was also related to the title of my dissertation, uh, "Mind the Gap." So the notion that uh, comics work by leaving stuff out, um, and I kind of. You know, I, I broke down comics really systematically um, for narrative structure in, in comics, um, partly, you know, influenced by Jerry Grunstein and the system of comics, things like that. But, uh, breaking it down like that systematically was looking at pictures, looking at sequences, um, word image combinations, and then sort of narrative as a whole. And the idea that uh, that kind of um, pulled all these things together for me was that in each of those um, levels or in each of those different ways of, of reading comics, um, things that are left out, the gaps that are left are, are one of the key ways in which you're kind of drawn in as a reader and in which things are, are meant to make sense. So for images, since you have cartooning in comics, it's, it's partly abstraction, um, partly subtraction, things are left out to, in order that the things that are there um, become extra important. Um, with sequences, obviously you have the gutters, so there's always key things, key moments that are not visible because they happen between the gutters. Um, and it's up to you as a reader to, to put those things together. Um, there's perhaps a gap between the word and image. You have to see how, how they fit together um, what are the words saying about the images? What are that? What information are the images providing about the words? Um, there's things that are being bridged there as well. And then in in narrative as a whole, of course, um, there's always gaps. Um, there's big, you know, big jumps in time. Um, big sometimes, you know, big events that are left out on purpose, um, like with a detective story. Um, 
And that's something that you see with, with La Perdida, for example, by Jessica Abel. She starts uh, that book um, with, you know, quite a lot of suspense. This woman who is, for some reason, is really nervous about being in this Mexican area in, um, in Chicago and then feels that she recognizes someone and immediately kind of runs away, gets on the train. Um, and it's, it's set up as... A, you know, there's, there's this gap. Why is she so afraid? And then the story kind of goes back to the beginning, starts at the beginning, and it's filling that in. Um, but all the way through, there's these little uh, visual clues, like the, the little skeleton uh, puppet that she has um, that keep drawing things together that kind of reassure, you know, it's all still the same story, um, but you still don't know why she was so afraid to begin with, because her, you know, her early time in um, in Mexico City, she's just in awe of everything, you know, wanting to see the Frida Kahlo house um, and all that kind of stuff, really embracing that. And so for a long time, you're still like, well, what's the, you know, what's the scary stuff? And that's kind of what you're waiting for. And of course you get to that eventually. Um, and so narrative gaps are kind of supported by all these gaps that comics. Yeah, Barbara, um, were there was there a comic um, setup layout that surprised you, um, given that you know you were looking very carefully at say systems maybe of meaning? Was there something that kind of stood out that actually kind of maybe proved the rule to you? Um, I guess one, so one page layout that I really like is, uh, uh, iconostasis, um, where you have a whole page that you can read as, as linear. You can just follow the panels, um, and there's, there's an action happening, maybe, a uh, maybe a discussion going on, but you can also look at the whole, pa whole page as one, um, moment um, or as one picture and and then you see that it's you know that it shows um, a whole room or um, an entire face uh, that otherwise you were looking at in fragments so the way I guess the you know the, the way that fact fragments can actually fit together is something that iconostasis those kinds of pages really um, really draw attention to and um, in my teaching I often use um, Neil Gaiman's book with, is it Dave McKean? I can't think of the top of my head. Uh, Black Orchid that uh, uses iconostasis quite a bit. And so that's, you know, that's uh, great to have those examples to show students. Um, it has a fairly set grid. It tends to be the nine panel grid, but then once in a while the page just opens up and, uh, and things are kind of floating around. Um, or those nine panels that seem so strict um, suddenly are all also all together a single picture. Um, so yeah, that those I think they, those are sort of showing that that crossing of of um, filling in of gaps in action maybe. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I was talking to Paul Gravette, and you know he brought up a, a, a panel, um, and he's talking about it as the Deluca effect. Um, but yeah, this narrative structure, right? I think it didn't it launch the kind of graphic novel comics series there with RIT. Yeah, so Rochester Institute of Technology Press. Yeah. Um, this was the first book in that series. And uh, now I think there are maybe five. I think there's a book that's just been launched um, that has, it has frames in the title <laughs> um, that 
Um, I'm really interested to read that one actually because it seems to be um, pretty formal approach to comics uh, in a way that I'm uh, I'm doing myself so that I'm always interested in and some of the books in between were about crime comics and comics in the 1950s and 60s so yeah they've got quite a quite a range of things going on there and of course it was uh, the importance of your book um, not only launching a, a significant book series to really open up this field but of course, it's translation into Portuguese for a Brazilian market, right? So exciting. Yeah, that was very exciting. Yeah, I love that. Um, sort of the travel, you traveling and then your work traveling into the languages, <laughs> other spaces. So let's, you know, your system, your kind of structure, your formal approach, how would you walk me or walk us viewers through the Shutterbug Follies, uh, you know, what would be an example here, yeah? Right, yeah, so you have here maybe the very first page of, um, mm -hmm. of Shutterback Follies by uh, Jason Little. Um, so one of the things that I think is uh, notable here, so you have, you know, I think your, the first thing your eye gets drawn to is that Mulberry photo sign. Um, so you're dealing with a photography shop, but then um, that's, it has the arch around it and behind that arch you can see on uh, uh, in both top corners you can see the kind of um, tall buildings so that th there's a really urban um, space being set up here even though that the, the, the closer look at the Mulberry photo doesn't include all that space but it's behind there it's hovering over it so you know that you're in an urban setting here um, I would take from this as well. So Mulberry being um, a street in formerly um, kind of uh, immigrant neighborhood in Manhattan. So it's not, you know, it's not any Mulberry anywhere. It's not a random word. Now all of a sudden we're in New York, we're in Manhattan in this bustling, um, bustling place. And then the, 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 that first uh, arched panel and the panel kind of in the store will have kind of odd angles um, as not kind of straight. So you're really swooping in. So there's a lot of energy in those first uh, first panels. And then in, um, in the middle panel, you're already seeing B in the background and then you kind of get close to her, um, seeing her at work. And so that's the first introduction of, uh, of the person who's going to be the main character. In books, at this point, you really don't have information about her um, just maybe from the cover of the book that you know that she's going to be the main character um, but you see her you know really bent over this machine hard at work um, clearly has you know some technical training there with her lab coat and her gloves and then there's the film that's uh, drying next to her uh, or hanging there I guess prepared to be put into the machine to be to make more prints um, so visually, those are the things that you get from there. And then you get the first, uh, the first speech balloon. Oh, photo processing machine, I command you to reveal to me that which is hidden. Um, and there again, that says a lot about this character. She's kind of, uh, you know, the way that she treats the machine as a, as a magical device. There's a quirkiness about her um, so that she seems to maybe make her, uh, make her job that could be sort of boring sitting there click 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 just at the machine she turns that into something exciting and then of course if you read the rest of the book that's also a moment that becomes really significant because she starts using 
those photographs that she's developing um, to solve this um, mystery uh, that she stumbles on because she's looking at these photographs. So it's in some way, it is the photo processing machine that helps her solve the crime, uh, the murder actually in this book. Um, so there's also that, you know, there's a hint of what's to come, um, which is also, I, when I read comics, I'm always leaping back and forth, uh, checking things that I already read. But now that I have more information, like, oh, actually there was something going on there that I hadn't noticed. Let me look at that page again. This word balloon is one of those moments where, it, you know, when you read the book again, or when you turn back to that page, like, oh, all this information was there. I knew how she was going to do this. I just had to read the rest to find out exactly how that was going to work. Um, so, you know, that's some of the things that the image and text are doing here uh, together. Shutterbug Follies to me is also very much sort of bubblegum noir in its genre. And that is, uh, that speaks from the way that the, um, the color in this page really pops as well. It's so vibrant. Um, it's, you know, when I say bubblegum noir, the noir is really not coming from, um, from the, uh, the, the kind of the filmic black and white shadows. Um, it's coming more from the darkness of the story and the story does get quite dark and the bubble gum is, is from the colors and from Bee's character and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, in the same way that she's asking for something to be revealed, you just revealed to us uh, how this page works. <laughs> so thank you. Um, and I know you're also very interested in um, not just in um, comics that have sort of photographic kind of elements in the content, but also kind of photographic effect, um, mm. but work on silent comics. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about this. This is a really exciting area, I think, that's, that needs you, that needs you, yeah. Oh, well, I, I, I hope so. I don't know, but um, I'm definitely very excited about silent comics, in part because they force you to read images. Um, so with other kinds of comics, you could almost get away sometimes with mainly focusing on the text. Um, often when I have students write, uh, write essays about comics, for example, what they'll be quoting is, is text balloons and they're not necessarily spend a lot of time talking about what the images are. You know, again, it's, it's partly how we're trained. Um, we're used to, um, to reading text and to analyzing text um, and the images can be maybe a little bit scary so when you're looking at silence comics the images are all you have you have to look at those uh, and so i'm trying to um to work out you know what kinds of again what kinds of communication what kinds of storytelling are are happening there and the the three images that you've got here i think are really interesting because they show some of the extremes, some of the really different ways in which uh, silent comics make uh, stories. So the city is a very early one from um, maybe 1910s or early 1920s by Franz Mazadale. And that's being a woodcut novel, it has one, it has a single panel per page. Um, and so these panels work uh, more almost like setting a showing different scenes, um, showing snapshots. Um, and you've got pretty large gaps to, to cover between from one panel to the next. Um, and so the city is also a story that works uh, quite impressionistically um, in some ways. Then um, P. 
Peter Cooper's uh, the system, which you have in the middle there, also very much a city story, really. Um, um, but Peter Cooper makes a, a very exciting uh, silent comic, but much more traditional in the way that it uses panels um, and page layouts. Although this particular page, you see that the panels are actually being ripped apart in the explosion that's being shown. Um, Peter Cooper's also interesting in the system because he, it's a really, the system is, uh, is a very complicated story. It really is about a number of sort of systems that are, uh, that are working together. And so he helps the reader by having newspaper headlines and posters um, and um, uh, like flash headlines on, on TVs uh, just to help you kind of keep track on all the different players and how they relate to each other um, in that story. And then there's The Great War by Joe Sacco, um, which is just uh, almost an overwhelming piece. It's this whole long fold-out comic um, that on the one hand you could read it as a single moment, um, but it also takes you through the entire um, battle of a kind of a single day in uh, in World War One, and I forget which particular day it is. It was a historical battle, um, but you know, on the one one side, I think it's probably on the left. You have this um, colonel or general standing in the beautiful garden of some kind of country mansion, and then it takes you closer and closer to the front, and you see. Um, you know, more and more soldiers, and then you get to the trenches, and then there's the actual battle going on with people shooting each other and things blowing up. And then on the other side, you get the wounded being carried away in uh, to, to hospital tents, and then a graveyard. Um, so all of that is being shown in a single continuing strip of paper, but it also has all these key moments. So it's a very powerful way of capturing um, what happened um, probably almost on a daily basis, uh, in some cases during World War I, all just shown in pictures and no words at all necessary to, to kind of feel that impact. Yeah, so powerful. Um, mm. So Barbara, you, you know, talking about um, students, can you share some of your methods in the actual classroom? And um, I was thinking about two that you uh, talk about in, in your work, um, Skim and then The Groom, uh, but yeah. How would you, how, what's the Barbara sort of method for getting your students to understand how these make meaning? Um, yeah, with, when I, when I get to teach a course that's only comics, which is a lovely thing to do and it doesn't happen all that often for me, um, but then in a course like that, I guess I do use sort of the structure of my own book a little bit as a structure for the course as well. I want students to learn how to read images and look really close at um, what's going on just in the pictures. And then, you know, start putting those things together with, um, with the panels, the page layouts, and, uh, and then what, where that gets you in terms of reading a story as a whole. And Skim um, is really nice uh, to teach because it has, uh, it's very fluid in the way it does page layouts. Uh, and so there keep being very surprising um, new ways in which, you know, suddenly sometimes all the backgrounds disappear. Um, 
or um, suddenly it, 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 it shows the same person five times on a single page. Um, and other places it has pretty, um, pretty standard panel layouts uh, like here, although again, there's, a, there's almost like a, a circular thing going on around the fire in the middle. So you see all these people standing, looking into the fire and, the, and you have the, um, the fire going on in the middle that they're all standing around. One funny thing about Skim is also that it has, when there's night scenes, it has black gutters and when there's day scenes, it has white gutters. Uh, and so it's almost performative in the way that it uses those gutters. Um, so, you know, I like to draw attention to the materiality of comics as well. Uh, that Skim is a story that's it's sort of the diary of this uh, young woman in her, as she's in high school. And if you have the hardcover version of this book um, and you take off the dust jacket, then the book itself looks like a diary as well. And it's got her kind of scribblings on it. Um, so comics kind of break down text and paratext. Um, the, the covers, the dust jackets even, or the, the end pages, they can already be kind of uh, brought into action to work uh, to help tell the story. Um, so yeah, I, I try to, um, you know, this, these are all things that, that I don't lecture. I don't say, now look at this, now look at that. But in the conversations, um, things come up and you know it happens pretty regularly uh, with books that students will notice details that I hadn't noticed before and that open up a completely new reading. Um, so that's part of the, the kind of the exciting thing uh, when you when you teach literature in general, but certainly when you when you teach uh, comics. Um, but there there works to be read and reread, and you can keep find uh, keep finding new things. Um, and of course, the groom is a web comic, which you know. Yes. Um, in many ways, especially right now with lockdowns and stuff, so on, probably more um, accessible to our students. Yeah, and so that you know, it's it's accessible to students. They've often read a lot more web comics than I have, um, and so they'll have a lot of examples. I like having presentations when I teach comics uh, because students will come in and and talk about uh, about series uh, comics that I not being aware of and that are super exciting. Um, they're kind of new stuff that's going on. And, and that way, again, you, you partly you can talk about the materiality. Reading a webcomic is quite different. Um, it has uh, different things that it can do. I'm trying to think of the word that Henry Jenkins uses for that. I think it's affordances. Um, so, you know, scrolling through a comic, um, Emily Carroll plays with that a little bit. Um, with the groom, she kind of goes back and forth between here, you see something that's almost photographic and then things that are black and white. Um, and then there's a page, or when you click through to that page, suddenly it's color and it's so different. Um, and because you're online and you hadn't, you know, flipped through it yet, it really comes as a, almost a shock. Uh, whereas in a book, you can often see from the side, like, oh, there's something coming later that's not black or that is black. You have these sections that you can already see in the, on the cut pages. So, um, and with some of her story, Emily Carroll, Emily Carroll also has you kind of, you have to scroll down, but then 
you get a dead end if you scroll down. So then you have to figure out you're kind of scrolling in the dark um, like the character is. So then you have to go sideways and then maybe down again to find the path um, to read. So it's, it's a very different way of reading, but you're still actually really, you have to be active. Um, again, Aaron Kashtan does uh, some really interesting work about the materiality of, of digital comics that I think is quite interesting and helpful with, um, I haven't used him for teaching yet, but um, if I get to teach comics as a focus again, I would certainly consider that. Exciting, um, very exciting web comics, all that you're doing. Um, gosh, you are so, you're so involved. You also have a book series uh, that you're co-editing. Um, the, you know, we, we, we love the Canadian Society for the Study of Comics. Um, I presented there last, uh, last year. Uh, oh, that's great. As the keynote. Um, wh where is for you um, the vitality in comics and comic studies? Yeah. Um, for me, and it's partly, I'm, I'm sort of a social person, but a part of the vitality is definitely in the community of, of scholars. And so things like the CSSC, uh, the Canadian Society for the Study of Comics, and now the CSS as well, those really help build those communities. And I think they're really important um, to bring scholars together in, you know, from, from students through to um, all kinds of levels of professors, um, this talking to each other and sharing ideas is so important. And um, yeah, the CSSC has now, um, you know, when I was running it, uh, we were always concurrent with TCAF, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival. Um, and so part of the community we got from there as well, um, able to, you know, people that came to our conferences were, would also be able to go to the the comics festival and meet uh, various um, cartoonists and authors and things like that. Now the CSSC has moved to um, the Federation of Humanities and Social Sciences in um, in Canada. Uh, so we are part of um, part of Congress now, which is where all the humanities and social sciences, the, 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 those associations in Canada, all have their uh, their conferences in the same roughly two week period. Uh, and so you get a very different sense of community now much more focused, I guess, on, um, on academia. And I think that's also asserting, you know, comic studies is, it's, it's, it's here to stay. It's part of academic disciplines. Um, and, um, you know, people that are studying communications or English, they can all pop into our comic studies events as well and see what's going on there. So I think that was a very um, important move that Ben Wu took care of very, um, very well to get the to get the CSSC established there and continuing there. Now, of course, everything is up in the air this year. There's no um, Congress. <laughs> and I guess, you know, some people, some associations might write, run things online. Um, but yeah, we've had, uh, we've at least had a good start. And um, I was sorry to miss your keynote there because yeah, I was too far away to, I had to miss. <laughs> yeah, that, um, and crossing lines is so important. Um, for a number of reasons, I, one of them is that it, you know, it's all women that co-edit. It's got a very transnational focus, but also um, really has gender and race and sexuality as a kind of primary drive. Um, yes. So, so yeah, what is what's coming out with Crossing Lines? What's exciting there for you? 
Um, I'm excited about the collaboration. We're still, so we're still sort of in the early days. Um, so we're st very much still in the process of soliciting manuscripts and proposals as well. But um, yeah, the way that comic studies is, is becoming um, so big that you can have all these different focuses, uh, foci now is really exciting. And um, this one, the transcultural, transnational is something that's obviously close to my heart, um, being uh, somewhat <laughs> transnational in the way that I keep uh, jumping around and moving around as well. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a really, really important area of study um, because we've been fairly focused on, I guess, various national uh, streams of, of comics, American comics, um, Franco-Belgian comics, uh, Japanese uh, manga, that kind of stuff. And so now thinking more about how, the, how these things are also crossing boundaries, um, connecting across borders um, and have, have intersections going on there. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about about those kinds of directions that are happening now. And, you know, we're just one of a number of new series that are coming out from different presses. So that, again, shows that uh, shows the vitality, the number of, of conferences we have now, the number of um, journals and uh, and the numbers of book series and just books that are coming out. Um, when I was doing my comprehensive exams, I felt like, ah, I'm pretty much on top of what's going on in comic studies. I've got the, you know, I can see the whole picture um, right now. It's like, wow, there's so much, so many different things, so many different approaches. Um, so I think, you know, just, just by looking at those kinds of metrics almost, um, you can see the vitality that's there. Barbara, the, the sort of proverbial nightstand question, what comics do you have on your nightstand or um, that are you that you're thinking about or that have you thinking a lot about them? Um, I've got uh, the Eternaut, El Eternauta uh, by Oosterheld, which I've had for <laughs> for quite a while. It's kind of a big bulky uh, book and it's also, I know it's it's quite a few decades old now, so it's a different way of reading, but that's definitely a, a book that I'm slowly making my way through. Um, and that seems maybe right now particularly kind of prescient because their people are also, at least in the beginning, they're kind of stuck in their homes and don't know if they can get out because the air is poisonous. Um, so, yeah, I think I, you know, I always try to, to read some things that where I'm, I feel like I'm filling some gaps in my knowledge from, um, from way back and that can, that often includes superheroes, which I'm not terribly uh, well read in, uh, but also comics from um, comics from elsewhere that maybe have finally come up in uh, in translation, uh, and then current uh, comics uh, is something you know, especially comics by women. Um, I'm always excited to find new ones, and right now there are so many online comics. Yesterday I was reading um, Lisa Hanawalt had a, I think it was called Pride and Pestilence. Um, so she's coping with being locked in um, by watching Pride and Prejudice and reading Pride and Prejudice endlessly, kind of looping and looping, and that's helping her uh, get through <laughs> through the pandemic. And it's, you know, that's just a short comic, but it was so powerful. Um, so that, yeah, again, the, the range of stuff that's there, old, old stuff that we're, I'm still discovering, new stuff, um, that people are making, you know, just 
just maybe almost as a venting mechanism and that are yet really, really touching and profound to read. Uh, so yeah, it's a great time for comics in that sense. <laughs> it is. It's almost overwhelming, right? And, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just talking uh, to um, a friend and I, they said, well, what novels have you been reading? And I, well, actually, I, I find the real vitality, of course, there's some that are not so good, but, you know, for the most part, uh, the big bang for the buck is comics and graphic novels and graphic fiction and nonfiction and um, autobiography. Um, I honestly, fiction every once in a while, alphabetic fiction surprises me, but mm -hmm. I'm spending most of my time in this space that you just talked about. Um, Barbara, gosh, thank you for beaming in from the <laughs> North Island of New Zealand, uh, Massey <laughs> University. Uh, thank you, Barbara Postema, for joining. Thank you.